That's Daniel chapter 4, page 888 of the Church Bibles. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed, me through, that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stumps and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and, and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because of the Holy Spirit of the gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, 
with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from the heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards the heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. But let's ask God to help us to see why it matters for us tonight. 
Father, we ask indeed that uh, you would meet us in your word, that uh, you would help me to be clear and faithful in what I say from the Bible, and that you would give uh, to those listening uh, concentration. We pray for clarity and that you would help us to see uh, your amazing kindness in how you bring people to acknowledge you as sovereign and as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to start at the end of chapter 4. Um, so come with me to the end of chapter 4 and uh, halfway through verse 34 and into 35, Nebuchadnezzar gives us a description of how he sees Daniel's God. Okay? I'm going to read it. You can follow along. And I guess the question is, as we start, um, what do you believe about God? And do you agree with Nebuchadnezzar as he describes God here in these verses? I think these are um, true about God, but incredibly challenging. Um, so from halfway through verse 34, he's now praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And speaking of God, he says this, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? I wonder if these words might even cause us to wince. It's a declaration of complete submission by Nebuchadnezzar before Daniel's God. Complete submission and saying, you are totally in charge and you are totally free to do as you please. I think that's quite challenging, depending on what's going on in life, to believe that about God. This is a huge turnaround for Nebuchadnezzar. If you've been with us and following along, as they say in the sitcoms previously in Daniel, if you go back to chapter 1, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most powerful man in the world at that point. Um, so he is wiping the floor the, the king of the leading superpower, invading countries and conquering peoples. And he's done it to Israel. He's gone in there to Jerusalem. He's besieged it. And uh, he's carted off the people from Jerusalem, taken them as prisoners, taken things from the temple, put them in his temple back in Babylon. Um, I don't think... I don't th I, it's more than Putin... I don't think Putin is quite there. It's Putin on steroids, and then some, to imagine how great, how he is the most pers powerful person in the known world at this time. 
And yet, when we get to the start, uh, as we go through Daniel, at the end of chapter 3, he has just seen three of Daniel's friends survive a fiery furnace. And, and he has realized that the God who they trust has saved them. And he says that at the end of chapter 3, verse 28. They trusted in him and defied my commands. This is the God they serve. And so he makes a decree that, that uh, verse 29, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into little tiny pieces. Okay, so he is powerful and ruthless. But what does he think about God at the end of chapter 3? They trusted in him, and he's a God to be respected, and I wonder if it's a bit more, he's one of many gods, and he's worthy of respect. That's not the same as how he is at the end of chapter 4. What causes this incredible turnaround where he is saying at the start of chapter 4, effectively he's saying, he's writing a letter, it's his words, and he says, dear everyone, this is going to everyone, all peoples, all nations. Dear everyone, and when it was posted up or dropped through the letterbox or however it came, um, formerly known as X or whatever, when it arrived, they wouldn't have been expecting this. It is his personal testimony about Daniel's God, about what has happened to him and what he believes in. And he says, verse 2, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed. What has caused this turnaround? We're going to look in three sections to see how it's, we're going to try and focus in on God's kindness in bringing Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge him as sovereign. We're going to focus in on God's kindness in bringing this change in King Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar submits to Daniel's God and acknowledges him as totally sovereign. And see that God is able to do that in King Nebuchadnezzar, to do that in the most powerful person we know in our circles, who seems like the most unlikely convert, and how his kindness has worked in us if we are trusting in Jesus today. So the first section goes from 4 to 18, verse 4 to 18. I've just given it the title, A Frightening Dream. Nebuchadnezzar is there, verse 4, in his palace, but all is not well. He is troubled by a terrible dream that has made him very afraid. In verses 9 to 12, we get detail about the dream, a magnificent tree he saw. Its height was enormous. It touched the sky. The leaves are beautiful. The fruit is abundant. The shelter and food for all the creatures, it doesn't sound that scary at the moment. But then a heavenly messenger comes and calls out that this tree is to be cut down to a tree stump. And then in verse 15, halfway through, the tree dream suddenly gets personal. And it says, verse 15, the middle there, let him 
be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And then we're told why this is happening. Verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Here's the purpose. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. And so as Nebuchadnezzar shares this, this verse is important. For all that are listening, it is shared so that they learn something about the God who Nebuchadnezzar has now submitted to. The thing I can't not understand here, well, there's lots of things, but I'm going to tell you one. The puzzle is, why didn't he turn to Daniel straight away? In chapter 1, Daniel finishes top of the tree in the sort of wisdom quiz, 10 times greater than everybody else. In chapter 2, he has a dream that no one can interpret except Daniel. So why, um, you know, at the end of chapter 2, he's saying stuff like, um, chapter 2, verse 28, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown you what will happen. So Daniel is saying he has got help in these matters. And at the end of chapter 2, I just wanted to land in verse 47, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. Why did he not go straight to Daniel? What? Why? If this has happened already. Because back in chapter 4, it's verse 8, and after everybody else has been in, finally Daniel came in, and then verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar seems to suddenly remember, you, Daniel, you can help because the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. What led to um, Nebuchadnezzar's turnaround? It's certainly in part turning to Daniel. But I want us just to, to notice how God's kindness is at work here. God, God placed Daniel alongside the king to provide answers. Daniel is like a gift to the king from God. And yet over many, many years, it seems Nebuchadnezzar is almost going out of his way to ignore Daniel and, and the God that he is telling him about. But Daniel keeps on popping up in front of him and being brought back alongside him in God's kindness. I want to tell you about two friends of mine from back in Scotland, John and Ewan. They are island lads from the northwest of Scotland. Um, if they were here and speaking, you wouldn't be able to understand them. If you struggle with me, this is a whole different ballgame. Um, Gaelic speakers, but they also speak Scots English. So, John and Ewan both moved to Glasgow from the islands for work. Uh, Ewan is converted and a Christian and going into the ministry uh, with the Church of Scotland. Um, loves Jesus. Uh, John 
loves martial arts and street fights and drinking, usually all together. So there they are in Glasgow. They sort of know each other, but John wants nothing to do with Ewan because he's a Bible basher, and John just bashes things. So they tell the story about how they bump into each other and how they keep bumping into each other around Glasgow. John is almost... He, he, he sees Ewan coming, and he talks about crossing the street three times, but Ewan sees John and crosses the street three times just to force a conversation. It is like he keeps popping up in front of him, and in a moment of honesty, John tells him of how hard he has found it moving to Glasgow, missing the islands, and in particular missing the sound of the Gaelic language. And Ewan says... I know what you need to do. You need to go to this church. And John's like, of course, I knew you were going to say that. No, this is the only Gaelic-speaking church in all of Glasgow. You need to go. John goes that weekend in the morning and in the evening and again and again and again and turns to Jesus because he hears the good news about Jesus. As Ewan was a gift alongside John, Daniel is a gift alongside King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe some of us here can look back and see how God put us beside people who were instrumental in us coming to hear about Jesus and trusting Jesus people who were gifts from God to us. Uh, growing up, it may just be that you were born in a Christian family, wonderfully, with parents that faithfully told you about Jesus. It may have been a Christian friend at school or at university or a colleague who um, God put alongside you. It may have been one or many who God used to keep pursuing us, to bring us to himself, to trust in Jesus. Or maybe even tonight you're here and you don't yet know you're Jesus as Savior and Lord. Um, but you do know a Christian who tries to talk to you about these things, or a Christian who is just a good friend. Um, Nebuchadnezzar seemed to go through a spell of ignoring and not listening. Will you keep ignoring that Christian, or will you listen to them? That's our first section. Our second section goes from 19 to 27, and I've given it the heading, uh, A Divine Warning. When Daniel hears the dream we're told in verse 19 he's terrified. I'm not completely sure why. I'm not sure if it's he is terrified by the content of the dream and how it speaks of a future terrible judgment or whether he's terrified, it could be this, that he's terrified about the prospect of telling the most powerful man in the world the bad news in the dream. The, the man who previously put Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. Daniel thought, I wasn't there. That was good. Oh, right. What have I got to do now? I've got to tell him this bad news. Hey. 
I don't know why he's terrified, but very quickly we see that Daniel bravely is speaking faithfully to Nebuchadnezzar. There's um, uh, two parts in verse 25. He tells him what's coming and why. So jump forward to verse 25. Daniel says to the king, you will be driven away from people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Did you catch that repeat? Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So what's coming and why? Because Nebuchadnezzar, it's not just enough to say that Daniel's God is one of many. It's to acknowledge that Daniel's God, the God of the Bible, is the Most High, the King of Kings, the one true living God. But, verse 26, there is the possibility of restoration. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you if or when you acknowledge that heaven rules. This is more of God's kindness, isn't it? Remember who we're talking about here. Nebuchadnezzar still has a chance with God. How many chances do we get with God over and over. We often feel we are having chances with God continually. Nebuchadnezzar still has a chance. So bravely in verse 27, Daniel adds, therefore your majesty be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by, by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Bravely, Daniel basically says in a word, repent. That is a Bible word that means turn around. You need to change your thinking about my God. It is a call to action. You can see it's, it's a call to more than belief in verse 27. It's, it's belief that then leads to action. It's a call to action that is, again, um, a call of kindness, akin to the captain on a ship that is sinking who says to everybody, life jackets. That that is not an optional thing. That is a, an urgent thing, but it, it is also a kind thing because it's the only thing that's going to save and it, God's kindness is seen in this command to repent and to acknowledge God. In the first section, we saw God bringing Daniel alongside Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see Daniel playing his part, and he continues to be a gift. I wonder how we might be used beside others who do not know our God. Friends seeking his help. Strangers we land alongside. We need God's help to speak compassionately, faithfully, bravely, 
clearly. All these things, I think, are there from Daniel. He doesn't gloat as his enemy is in trouble. He speaks faithfully, bravely, and clearly. Daniel was sharing the gospel, the, the good news from his God. What does the message tell us about the God of the Bible? Not just that he's all-powerful, but that he is full of kindness. Think again about Nebuchadnezzar and all he's done in Jerusalem to God's people, to the temple, taking away the exiles. What does Nebuchadnezzar deserve from God? Judgment. But he's being offered pardon and blessing. It is a divine warning, but it, it comes with great kindness. You see, the key to the divine warning is the need to acknowledge that God is sovereign and in charge. This is central to the Christian life. I wonder, have there been times in our lives when we've been brought to acknowledge this again and again on different issues that actually I need to submit to the one who really is in charge, the one who has a claim on my life because he is not only my creator, but he is also my, my redeemer, my rescuer. I wonder what he might be calling us to, to uh, in what ways he might be calling us presently in the circumstances of life here tonight, things you're dealing with where life just isn't quite clicking, calling you to acknowledge that he is in charge. So there's a divine warning. And then lastly, we see the lesson that is learned in this last section, 28 to 37. Um, it, it does start in quite a shocking way because suddenly you find that it's 12 months on and, and in an almost ridiculous, scary sort of way, what is Nebuchadnezzar preoccupied with and, and saying after all of this? 12 months on, he's walking in the roof of the royal palace in Babylon and he's saying, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. It's like he's flexing. It's all about me. All about me. This is mine. And then verse 31, following his words, there is a voice from heaven, no messenger, a direct message. Verse 32 Here's what happens immediately. He's eating grass. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. One moment he's boasting to himself. The next minute he's eating grass like an ox. Humbled. You feel the great contrast of his boasting on the roof palace. But he's being told, you are only a receiver. All that you have has been given. 
What did you bring into this world? What will you take out of this world? Zilch. Nothing you have has not been given to you. He's saying, look at me in my glory. And in a moment, he's eating grass with the feathers of an eagle and nails like the claws of a bird. Humbled. But wonderfully, with what result? Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And Nebuchadnezzar praised the Most High, honored and glorified him who lives forever. Are we not again seeing God's kindness? This is the God who unsettles and challenges. He calls for change but he humbles so that he can raise up people to new life, to know him, to restoration and to blessing. Nebuchadnezzar's final testimony is in verse 37. He learned, as it were, the hard way through God's humbling he learned this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You see, pride says, I'm more important than God. I'm rather pleased with myself. Look at my achievements, my reputation. It's all my doing. We can do that very subtly even in our Christian life where we speak about I to ourselves and forget about God's will. That's what pride says. But then God says in his word and through Jesus, actually, I'm in charge. Totally. Honor me or risk facing my discipline and my final judgment unprepared. King Nebuchadnezzar turned to acknowledge God for who he is. And in those verses that we read at the start in terms of telling us of his total submission, to start with this God, there has to be a moment of sweet surrender where we acknowledge that he is truly Lord, free to do as he wishes. But that we can trust him because we know of his kindness, because we know of him sending one to be alongside us, sending Jesus that God works to humble the proud but raises them up. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar. He's doing it with his people Israel in exile. And he's still doing it today. He humbles people to show us our need of Jesus. And that can continue even into the Christian life. How is God perhaps humbling us just now where life is just not working to show us 
how much we need Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is. Despite our Nebuchadnezzar-like tendencies, where we tend to still think more of me and less of Jesus, or where we are so slow to believe and to trust. We are fickle and Jesus is faithful. I, I like that sentence and then I wonder, does anybody here know what fickle means? But we are so all over the place. And yet Jesus is so faithful and steady and constant with us, his kindness needs to keep winning our hearts again and again so that it would be our pleasure to tell others how wonderful Jesus is. Our pleasure, in the words of this last line, to praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Let's pray for God's help to do that. Father, we thank you for your great kindness. We ask tonight that you would help us to know that when you humble us, you humble us so that we might turn back to you, acknowledge your sovereignty, and in time we will know a lifting up. Help us please to see again tonight um, how wonderful Jesus is and our need of him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.